Do you ever find yourself a bit grumpy? Especially these last few weeks and months. Have you noticed? This is confession time. Confession's good for the soul. Have you been grumpy about the state of the world? Grumpy that maybe you're not getting what you deserve or others aren't getting what they really deserve? Man, have I got a story for us. It's the tale of the grumpiest prophet in the Bible. Jonah is a book for all of us who feel called by God, but don't want to be. It's a book for those of us who oftentimes find ourselves more comfortable building walls than building bridges. God calls Jonah. And Jonah wants nothing to do with it. And yet, through a God who wouldn't give up, and a prophet who finally yielded his will to that God, an entire nation is saved. Strap in, church, because this is a series filled with God's grace and with human frailty, unexpected redemption and a very big fish. So grab your Bibles as we hear the story of Jonah, the reluctant prophet. Today's scripture reading comes from Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for the wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah set out to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid his fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and such a mighty storm came up upon the sea that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried to his God. They threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Jonah, meanwhile, had gone down into the hold of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. The captain came and said to him, What are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps the God will spare us a thought so that we do not perish. The sailors said to one another, Come, let us cast lots so we may know on whose account this calamity has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us why this calamity has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? I am a Hebrew, he said. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were even more afraid and said to him, What is it that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them so. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea was growing more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great storm has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to bring the ship back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more stormy against them. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, O Lord, we pray, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. 
Do not make us guilty of innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord even more, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. But the Lord provided a a large fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This is such a classic story. It has everything you'd want. It's got a flawed hero, a big boat, a bigger storm, even a big fish who swallows a guy and then regurgitates him on land. Everything we'd want in a great story. But you know what? If we're not careful, all of the bigness of Jonah chapter 1 can keep us from seeing the big point. If we closely examine our text today, we're going to see a tremendous story. More than that, we might see ourselves reflected in the text. But most importantly, we'll see the immutable and unchanging love of our God. Would you look in verse 2 of Jonah chapter 1 with me? So the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and God said, Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah set out to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid his fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. God calls Jonah. And notice what Jonah does. Jonah doesn't just ignore God. He doesn't stay put. No, no. This is where Jonah was in Joppa. And here's where God was calling Jonah to Nineveh about 550 miles to the east. Jonah didn't say no. He didn't ignore God. And he certainly didn't go east where God wanted him to. Jonah hopped on a boat and tried to go almost 3,000 miles in the opposite direction. (laughs) Why? Why in the world would Jonah, who is a prophet, be so opposed to prophesying? It's his job. It's the word of the Lord that has come to him What was his problem? Well, to understand that, we first have to understand a little bit about the history of what was taking place. Jonah lived about 700 years before Jesus was born. And about 700 years before Jesus was born, one of the greatest tragedies in Israelite history took place. In the year 721 B.C., the Syrian Empire attacked the northern kingdom of Israel. So when I say northern kingdom, here's what I mean. There were two kingdoms of Israel at this time. The kingdom of Israel itself, and then the southern kingdom of Judah. The southern kingdom had only two tribes, Judah and Levi. Their capital city was the city of Jerusalem. But the northern kingdom of Israel was massive. It had the remaining ten tribes, and their capital was Damascus. In the year 721, Assyria lays siege to the nation of Israel, their capital of Damascus, and they absolutely destroy the people of Israel. 
they slaughter thousands. And more than that, the people who are left alive, the Assyrian sentence to be taken and spread across the empire. Assyria wasn't simply trying to wipe out God's people. Assyria was trying to wipe out their culture through assimilation to Assyrians' own culture. And you might say, well, what in the world does any of this have to do with Jonah? Well, if you remember where Jonah was called to go, he was called to go to the city of Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. God's call on our lives is often inconvenient. When God asks us to do something, it may be to reach out and touch those we would rather not have anything to do with. And when that happens, when God calls us in this way, sometimes we respond faithfully, and other times we do what Jonah did. Look with me once more in verse 3. But Jonah set out to flee for Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish, paid his fare, went on board to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah was trying to get away from God. How foolish. How absurd. It's as if God wasn't going to be able to connect with Jonah in Tarshish. But I, I wonder, church, do we, in perhaps less exaggerated ways, do the same thing when God asks something of us. God calls and we decide, I'm not going to do that thing. I'm not changing careers. I'm not starting a small group. I'm not beginning this ministry or this activity. I'm not reaching out to that person who's hurt me or hurt people that I love. Instead of doing what God calls us to do, doing that thing that would bring us fulfillment, doing that thing that would bring redemption to those around us. Instead of doing that, sometimes we ignore God, and other times we go in the complete opposite direction. We hop on a boat for Tarshish. I want to tell a story to you about a time when this happened to me. If you've ever had a public leadership role, you know that part of the territory just comes with it is that people are going to make comments. And some of those comments are going to be affirming and encouraging, and some of them are going to be constructive in nature. But from time to time, there are going to be some things that are just plain hurtful. A long time ago in my ministry career, I received some words from someone in one of my congregations, and man, they were devastating. Insulting to me, indicting my family. Suffice it to say, I really wanted nothing to do with that person from that time forward. But God had other plans. 
Wouldn't you know it, as time went by, I felt God calling me back into connection with this person again. And I can promise you, if there had been a ship bound for Tarshish, I would have been on it. But it turned out that person was facing something. They needed a pastor, and for better or worse, God picked me. What happened in the end is that in time, almost against my will, that relationship was healed. I was healed. When God calls us to do what needs to be done, it isn't simply because someone else needs it. God often picks us because God wants to do something inside of us along the journey. No doubt the people of Nineveh had undertaken tremendous violence against Jonah and his people. And not only did God need the Ninevites to turn from their path, but God also wanted to help Jonah and the people of Israel find healing as well. So what comes next is the most famous part of the entire book of Jonah. Most of us have heard this story from the time we were children. Jonah hops on a boat for Tarshish. The boat encounters a storm. Eventually, Jonah offers himself up as a sacrifice and gets tossed overboard where he is swallowed by a very large fish. Now, I've preached about the story of Jonah before, and I spent a lot of time talking about this part of the narrative, and particularly the way that this part of the narrative is invocative of, of, evocative of, of what comes with Christ in the future. And what I mean by that is that the story of, of Jonah foretells part of the Christ story. The people on the ship represent humanity. The willing sacrifice in Jonah is, of course, Christ. He spends three days in the belly of the beast and then is walking around on shore again. It's a very interesting comparison and worth considering. But I want to make sure we don't miss something else in this text today. You see... When God calls us to do something and we say no, as Jonah did, it can not only impact our lives, but it can also impact those around us. I mean, maybe it'll just be that we get grumpy because we know we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. But maybe it'll be worse than that. And I'm I'm not suggesting that my lack of faithfulness can ultimately condemn anyone else, just that What we see in Jonah is when we fail to follow God's call, others might have to endure the ensuing storm with us. So far, we've seen something that most of us probably already knew. That when God asks us to do something, when God's call is placed on our lives, it's often uncomfortable and inconvenient. And we've also just seen in this story that when we choose to be unfaithful to God's call on our lives, sometimes God's going to send a storm to help correct our course. And that can impact the people around us. 
The people of Nineveh had exacted a heavy toll on Israel. God's chosen people. All of these things that we've heard so far about Nineveh, all of these things we've heard so far about Jonah, they're important, but we cannot miss the big point of Jonah chapter 1. Because the people of Nineveh had exacted a heavy toll on Israel. And so often in the Old Testament, when we think about the way that God is portrayed, we will often tell ourselves that in the Old Testament, God is a God of vengeance. But pay attention to what happens here in the book of Jonah. We see a God who is unyielding in love and desire to save the whole world. Assyria may have been the enemy of God's people, but the Assyrians were not the enemies of God. Here's the big point of Jonah. So great is the grace and desire of God to have relationship that God would send a prophet into the capital city of an empire that had perpetrated the single greatest act of violence up to that time in Israel's history. So if I ever find myself asking God, why? Why are you calling me to do this thing that's uncomfortable or inconvenient? The answer almost certainly is because God wants to use us to share God's love with someone. Having spent some time talking about this story, I want to share three questions that I think emerge for us from the text. Here's the first one. What is the uncomfortable thing God is asking of you? What is the uncomfortable thing God is asking of you? We as human beings, we don't like submission. We, from our own culture, we are people that value our freedom deeply. And the truth is, we do not have to do what God calls us to do. But if we don't, we'll find our lives less meaningful and our world less liberated. What is the uncomfortable thing? that God has asked of you? Here's a second question. Is God using a storm to help change your course? We're all facing some storms right now. We are. Are we allowing ourselves in the midst of the storm to hear God's voice? God's direction in this tempest. What is God teaching you in the storm? And here's the final question. Have you ever tried to place restrictions, limitations on God's love for someone else? Because Jonah did, didn't he? Jonah felt the people of Nineveh weren't worthy of saving. And church, I I understand why. They'd done some terrible things, slaughtered thousands of people, and sent thousands more across the empire. Yet God was willing. 
God was willing to forgive them. And sometimes I can try to limit the love of God because of the limitations in my own capacity to love. But the good news of the gospel is that the grace of God is boundless. And the love of God is endless. It's so easy to see ourselves in stories as the hero of the tale. But we all start out as the Ninevites, church. As those who had no claim on God's grace. See, the fatal flaw in Jonah wasn't that he ran away. And it wasn't the attitude problems that we'll see from him throughout the entire book. The fatal flaw of Jonah was that he forgot how deeply and desperately dependent he was on the grace and undeserved love of God. I don't know what your mistakes, failings, and sin have been. But I know the grace of God is bigger. I know that when we finally grow weary of trying to put on a mask for God and everyone else, we finally admit to ourselves we don't have it all together, that our past mistakes still haunt us. In that honest moment of vulnerability, our sin doesn't stand a chance when confronted with the grace of Jesus Christ. Because when the valley of my sin confronts the mountain of God's grace... Not only am I set free, but I am set free to love others liberally and completely. Part of the reason I love Jonah's story is precisely because of his flaws. Jonah was a flawed character, a flawed servant of God, and so are we. Therein lies the key, church. In order to love others generously, to love them past their faults and their mistakes in order to love others generously, I first have to see how generously I have been loved. It draws me back to the cross. And so maybe you're somebody who's participating in worship today and you never experienced the liberation and freedom that comes from being forgiven. If you're ready, if you're tired of running away, tired of being grumpy, tired of missing that fulfillment and the chance to make a difference in the life of someone else, if you are ready, know that God is waiting and your sin doesn't stand a chance when it confronts the grace of Jesus Christ. Or maybe it's been a while since you stood face to face with your need for God's grace. You've done it. Did it when you were a kid, did it in college, did it when you got married, whatever. But it's been a while. And just like Jonah, maybe you're starting to question whether or not the mission is worthy, whether or not this person in my life actually deserves a second chance. 
If that describes you, my friends, I want to invite you to get swallowed up today. Not by fish, but by grace. Because the tremendous beauty of Jonah, especially Jonah chapter 1, isn't that Jonah finally obeyed, and it has nothing to do with a fish. The wonder of Jonah's story is that God wouldn't give up. God won't give up on the Ninevites in the story. God won't give up on our enemies. And God won't give up on us. The story of Jonah isn't just about saving the Ninevites and the Assyrians. The story of Jonah is also about God saving Jonah again. Maybe we're starting our faith journey. Or maybe like Jonah, we've just grown weary of it. God's grace and God's love calls us back. It's relentless. It's unyielding. It is offered to the greatest of all sinners. It's offered to us. Right now. Right here. Would you pray with me? Father, some of us have grown weary. We've grown weary of our sin. We've grown weary of trying to direct our own lives when we don't understand what we should do. We've grown weary of feeling as if our existence has no meaning or purpose. Father, I want to ask your Holy Spirit in this moment to fall fresh upon each one of us today. And Lord, if there are those among our number gathered in this time of worship who have never claimed the grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ, Lord, I pray in this moment they would do so with just a simple prayer. Father, I've sinned. I've hurt you, I've hurt myself, and I've hurt others. By the power of your cross, forgive me. And set me free to be loved, to belong, to find purpose. God, there are others among us who have prayed a prayer just like that. The mission has become old. The faith has become stale. God, break through. Breakthrough and give us a new passion. Start by reminding us of the ways that we have been forgiven and then convict us with your call on our life to go forth and share your love, not because anyone deserves it, but because you have so freely given it. Thank you, God, for the story of Jonah, the reluctant prophet, for the freedom we find in it, 
for the testament it bears to your tremendous, immutable, unchanging, unyielding love. In Jesus' name, amen.